Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're beginning in chapter 6 of Revelation, wrapping up our study of the horsemen, knowing that time is short, and asking the question, do you believe? So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown and was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a, while long, a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. If you'll open up to Revelation chapter 6, which we just read. Well, let's pick up this morning. We're looking at uh, Revelation chapter 6. And as we've been moving our way through, as you know, this is a chapter that deals with these various seals that are now being opened up. We've seen the celebration in the heavenly throne room, and now Jesus is opening and breaking the seals. He's the only one that can do this. And as he's doing this, he's releasing, at least in the first part of this, these various riders. We've looked at uh, the first, uh, the first uh, three, I believe. Did we get up to, what are we picking up? Verse 7, right? So we've looked at the first three. We've seen the first one was the rider on the white horse. The second one that 
that we looked at was on the fiery red horse that went out, which is, is uh, a depiction of war. We know that the first rider, and I uh, laid that out for you guys, why I believe the first one, the white horse, some believe it's Jesus. I do not believe it's Jesus. Uh, it does not fit the, the context of what we're looking at here, nor would it make sense for Jesus to release himself. And Jesus is the one that's breaking the seals and sending out the riders. I believe that that first rider on the white horse is a mimic of Jesus. It really is one that's coming to bring peace to the world initially, almost like a delivering Messiah. But as we see from the second seal, he then becomes this one that really brings war and turmoil. And from the rest of them, I believe it is the Antichrist that is being described in that first rider. And actually, I believe it is the Antichrist in all of these seals fulfilling the various aspects of his reign when he finally comes. And then, of course, in the third seal, we saw the black horse and and he came with these scales, which is designed to measure things out. Um, And uh, the measuring out is that this is a time of famine that'll be taking place on the earth. And the the passage is quite clear about that. And of course, if you're going to bring warfare, famine oftentimes follows in the wake of that. And now we'll pick up this morning in verse seven with the fourth seal. Let's read that again. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And so Jesus now breaks open this fourth seal. This final rider is sent forth. And I want you to note some interesting things about him. First of all, he is riding a pale horse. Now we think of pale being kind of a pale white, you know, or a pale gray horse. But in, it actually in the Greek, the word is really translates out as pale green, pale green. And then we're told, secondly, a name is given to this rider. No name's given to any of the other riders, but a name is given to this rider, and his name is Death. And the color of the horse, when you think about it, it kind of reflects this rider's name as well, because a corpse kind of gets that, that pale green look to this tint of the, of the skin. And so it fits. This guy is death. The horse that he's riding is really a reflection of death. We're told also, thirdly, that he's followed by Hades that he's followed by Hades. And Hades is a term in scripture that's used as a reference to the grave. And then he's given also, fourthly, a sword. And a sword doesn't so much, uh, it's not so much a reference to the power to make war through military means, but here it's more of a reference to his power to take life through murder and individual assault and the chaos that will take place. In other words, when this rider comes, He's going to create chaos to such an extent that society will be coming apart at the seams. I mean, society will just be tearing itself apart at the seams and lawlessness will overtake the world and people will be taking law into their own hands and rioting and vigilanteism, it's going to be rampant and as a result, people will be dying at unprecedented levels. Fifth, we're also told that he'll be bringing death to the world, not only through lawlessness, but through the conditions he's going to create that will intensify the famine that already exists, as we previously discussed. And, and, and through disease, which, which will be breaking out on a large scale, and even from wild animals, it says here, that will be increasingly roaming about as, human, as the human population dwindles. You know, that it makes sense, right? If the human population is going to decrease, then the animal population will begin to take over, and all of it combined is going to take an unfathomable death toll on the earth. In fact, verse 8 tells us that his actions during this period will result in the deaths of one-fourth, one-fourth of the earth's population. Now, make no mistake about it. 
When this rider comes, he's going to be bringing death on a scale that the world has never seen before. I mean, we've been through some horrendous times on this earth. This will be death on a scale like the earth has never seen before. David Guzik in his commentary sums it up by saying, Our modern age has seen hundreds of millions killed by dictators, wars, and famine. Yet all that will pale in comparison to the death toll coming in the wake of this ultimate dictator. No wonder Jesus said of this time, For then there will be great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And once again, I firmly believe that this rider is none other than Antichrist in this aspect of the work that he'll be doing when he appears to fulfill this role on the earth. And coming with the name of death, this rider summarizes the effects of, of that the Antichrist and the tribulation judgments will be having on mankind. Coming with the authority, he'll be coming with the authority to reap one-fourth of the earth's inhabitants. Now, I, I want you to think about this for just a minute, because I know we can throw out a figure like that, and, and we don't really comprehend that. I want to help you comprehend what that means in practical terms, if, if we're thinking about today. The current population of the earth today is about 7.5 billion people right about now, and it's projected to climb to 9.7 billion people by 2050. Now, just think, if this guy, this rider, this Antichrist were to come today, it would mean that he approximately 1.8 billion people, 1.8 billion people could expect to die in a very brief period of time, a seven-year span of time. 1.8 billion people could expect to die as a result of these awful events that, that he'll be unfolding with the evil that he'll be bringing. Think about this. World War I. World War I claimed the lives of about 85 million people worldwide. That's one of the estimates. There's a range, but that's kind of the upper end of the range. They think about 85 million people. That was approximately 4.5% of the world population of 1914, which was estimated about 1.8 billion. So by the end of, of World War I, 4.5% of the world's population was killed. 85 million people. World War II. World War II claimed the lives of 80 million people. That includes the Holocaust. That's not just military. These are people who died as a result of the war itself. About 80 million people died during World War II. That was approximately 3.5% of the 1940 world population estimated at 2.3 billion worldwide. Those two wars combined... Those two words, words, words combined claimed the lives of 165 million people, which was 9.2% of the total numbers that could expect to die if this rider were released on the world today. That would only be 9.2%. Those two wars combined of deaths would only equal about 9.2% of the world's population today that could expect to die. And we're being told 25% of the world's population will die when this guy comes. Now think about this in terms of deaths that have resulted from just four of the most lethal diseases ever, re ever recorded. Smallpox claimed about 300 million lives. It's estimated about 300 million lives. The Spanish flu, which I'm wondering if we all have these days that's going around, but you know, I'll tell you, but 100 million people were estimated to have died from the Spanish flu when it broke out. The Black Death or the bubonic plague, right? It claimed about 75 million lives, and AIDS 
has claimed about 25 million lives. Total combined, if you combine those together, that would be about 500 million people, which is only 27.7% of the total numbers that could expect to die if this rider were released in the world today. Only a quarter of the quarter of the Earth's population that this guy's going to read. And if these numbers from disease were combined with the total deaths from World War I and World War II, it would equal 665 million, which is still only 36.9% of the total numbers that expect to die if this rider were released in the world today. And keep this in mind. These total deaths that I'm talking about here are over a span of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But when this rider is, is released, one-fourth, one-fourth, 1 1.8 billion people, if it were to happen today, would die in less than seven years. In less than seven years. Do you get that? I mean, that's sobering. I mean, that's a sobering statistic. And it should, in that, that, that sobering statistic, it should motivate each and every one of us to reach out and to seek to rescue as many people around us as possible. Our family members, our friends, our neighbors, the people who do not know Christ. Now is the time to tell them. Now is the time to tell your family about Jesus Christ. Now is the time to tell your neighbors about the good news of the gospel, of the grace and the hope that's found in the person of Jesus Christ alone. This is not a time to be silent. This is not a time to, to just hold our peace because we're afraid of seeming too overzealous about Jesus or, or for fear that we're going to turn our friends or neighbors off by being direct with them about the gospel. This is not the time for it. Besides, what kind of friend are you if you're willing to, to, to not warn them of terrible things that you know are going to be coming upon, upon this earth one day and upon them if they don't place their faith in Christ? That's like knowing in advance that the Titanic is going to hit an iceberg. It's, it's like you knowing that your friends and neighbors have a ticket to be on the Titanic and you know, you've, you've been given some foreknowledge that, that that ship is going to hit and people are going, uh, that, that, that population on that ship is going to go down. They're going to sink. But you don't want to tell them because you don't want to ruin their trip and you don't want to seem too pushy and you don't want to, you know, upset them. That's about the equivalent of it. Remember, Noah warned his friends. We're told in the scripture that Noah warned his friends and neighbors for 120 years that the flood was coming. He told them for 120 years that the flood was coming and all they did was laughed at him and mocked him and got in his face about it, yet it did not stop him from warning them. He wasn't concerned about that. He wanted them to know if we truly believe, and I think if I took a show of hands this morning, I think the vast majority, if not all of you, would agree with me. We believe we're living in the last days. We see it. That doesn't mean we know the day or the hour that Jesus is coming. No man knows that. But we do look at the signs, and Jesus told us we could do that. He said we can see, just like we can tell by the weather, what's happening in our world. And boy, if we were gauging this like we would the weather, we would all agree that we're in a time when the storm is about to happen, when the rains are about to start falling. But here's the question. If we truly believe that, if we truly believe that we're living in the last days, then our response should be no different than Noah's. 
our response should be no different than Noah's. Jesus even says in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 36, Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Listen, the house of our family members who are unsaved. The the house of our, our friends and neighbors who don't know Christ is about to be broken into. The flood is coming. Why would we find any excuse not to warn them? Why would we find any excuse to do that? And even if you don't believe that we're living in the last days, why wouldn't you warn them knowing full well that if they were to die today or tomorrow or the next day, apart from Christ, they're going into an eternity of torment and separation from God. Or maybe the question is, or do you really believe it? This is not a guilt trip, but I'm just asking the question, do you really believe it? Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe part of the problem for all of us is that we know what the Bible says about these things, and we love to study it, and we love to read it, and we love to, to, to hypothesize about how this could all unfold. But do we really believe it where it matters most? Do we really believe it? Because if you believe it to be true, then now is the time, not later. Now is the time because tomorrow might be too late to warn. And even more important, now is the time to start living Jesus in front of of all your friends and your neighbors who don't know him and your family. Now is the time to live for Christ in front of them so that it'll stir a hunger in their hearts and in their own lives to have what you have so that the conversation can take place. Now is the time, while there's time, for all of us to heed Jesus' words in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13, where he says this, Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is it, de- it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do, the, do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There's a place for words and there's a place for the way we live. Jesus says, hey, we want to see your good behavior. As they see, and that doesn't mean we're earning salvation or anything from God by our behavior, but we're living what we believe in front of people and they see that and they glorify God through it. And how do they glorify it? By yielding their own lives to him. And salt, I mean, I love that illustration of salt. I know a long time ago when the, the army, when I was in the army and they didn't have a handle on how the, the hydration system worked, they used to give you salt tablets. And the idea was that it would make you thirsty. The problem is you're already thirsty anyway, so it didn't help a whole lot. But, but salt makes you thirsty, right? Salt makes you thirsty. You and I are supposed to be the very thing that God uses in the world like salt to stir a thirst in the people around us for what we have. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to be in people's faces and just shouting the gospel at them. I'm not suggesting that at all. 
I am saying that we can have opportunities to be salt in their presence and to point them back to Jesus to have the conversation, you know. I know people who, who have been in ministry, in full-time ministry, and, and lots of Christians want to do that because they think that's where they get to live their faith. You know, I'm going to tell you the truth. God needs people in full-time ministry in the church, but he needs more people in full-time ministry in the workplace. And I know people who've been in full-time ministry and left it to go back to secular work simply because they wanted to be salt and light in the midst of darkness. And, and, and of course, they're working within these corporations and everything else, and they can't just run around and, and, and be, you know, some crazy zealot standing on a desk preaching the gospel. But they look for opportunities to share the gospel with their coworkers, to get into the conversations with them. And when it goes there, they're not afraid to point them to what the scriptures say and to take them back to the very words of Jesus and the warnings that the scriptures give. I mean, right now we have a great opportunity with people because they can look around our world around us and see things happening. People know there's something wrong. People know that there's something going on in our world today. They know it. They realize that. They just don't understand it. But you and I, we do. Oh, it doesn't mean we understand every aspect of it, but we know what we see happening in our world today is lining up with what the very things the Scripture said are going to come. And we have the opportunity to say to people, you know what? Wars and rumors of wars. You know? Earthquakes in diverse places. We can talk to them about these things and take them back to Jesus said these things would come, but the end is not yet. And there's an opportunity here for you to escape what's coming, the judgment that will be befalling as you put your faith in Jesus Christ like I have. You know, we have that opportunity. We need to live it. We need to speak it. But the question is, do we really believe that these things are going to happen? Because if we do, I don't know about you, but the clock is ticking. The fuse is burning. And it's getting shorter and shorter with each passing day. Days when Antichrist will be on this earth enacting these schemes and plans that we're looking at here, creating chaos, destruction in the world, it hasn't arrived yet. It hasn't come yet, but, but, but it will. <laughs> it's going to come. It's going to come. And when it does, it's going to be too late to, to be rescued if you're not in Christ. It, there's no you know, opportunity to escape the things that will be coming if you're not in Christ before they come. Because this death and destruction is going to come on the living of the earth dwellers that are on this planet when that moment comes. Tell people while there's still time so that they, like you, can get in that life raft and get out of here when Jesus comes for us. And please note that death will not be the worst part of what this guy's going to be bringing to the earth. We discussed earlier how, how the fact that Hades here, it says, will be following him. And that, in its simplest interpretation, Hades refers to the grave. However, Hades also refers to the soul. It refers to the soul. And so the idea is that when Antichrist comes, he isn't only going to be reaping the bodies of people through death, but he'll be reaping their souls as well. He'll be taking both. He'll be reaping their souls of those who don't believe, who have not placed their faith in Christ for an eternity. He'll be reaping their souls for an eternity of torment and suffering as, as those who die physically are going to find themselves catapulted from this life into Hades, into that place, into hell itself. And although the, the, the suffering that people will be enduring on the earth will be such that they'll actually welcome death, it tells us that. It's going to tell us that in various places in the book of Revelation, they want the mountains to fall on them. They just would rather die. But death won't pre prove to be the solution. Death won't prove to be the end of their suffering. It'll just be the doorway that's going to lead to, to a greater suffering that's going to be taking place eternally as their souls are cast there. 
No matter how difficult your life circumstances are, no matter how much you might be suffering in this world, you do not want to die without being in relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't care how bad it is, because apart from him, things do not get better. They do not get better. And the people who live in that day, they're going to know that to be true when, when the pale rider comes and, and he reaps their bodies and their souls. And we need to share with people, we need to share Jesus with people now while there's still time for them. Amen? You tracking with what I'm saying this morning? If you feel guilty, I'm not trying to do that to you. That's not my point. But I do think we need a reality check on these things because we do see these things coming to pass. We see them coming like a speeding train. And there are people sitting on the track, and they're going to get run over. But we have an opportunity to share it with them. And the Lord will give it to us if we desire to reach out to them. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.